Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 19th episode of your new favorite internet show, VisionCon Live. I'm your host, Zach Wilson, but you didn't come here to see me today. You came to see the man of the hour. He's Kaneki from Tokyo Ghoul, Karma from Assassination Classroom, Goro from Darling in the Franks, just to name a few. He's a legend in his field with hands down the best beard in the business. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome the one, the only, Austin Tyndall. Austin, how you doing today? Good, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Austin, I'm going to be honest with you. It didn't occur to me until, uh, I want to say about 20 minutes before we started, because, you know, obviously I do a lot of research with all my guests. So, you know, I've watched a lot of videos, you know, with you in them. And, you know, it didn't dawn on me until now that you've had, you've been in these videos with the beard and without the beard. So 20 minutes before we started, I thought to myself, oh, crap, what if he doesn't have the beard? My whole intro is ruined. Yeah, I mean, it's still a beautiful beard. Oh, definitely, uh, definitely. It's still I'm, arguably better than other beards, I think. So you're still you're still safe in my book. Oh, yeah. But I did for uh, for public safety reasons. I got rid of the big one. Sure. Plus, I, I not having access to the person who I regularly get haircuts from. That was also the person that was kind of shaping it and making it look acceptable. When you have facial hair at that length, there's a very fine line between looking like a hipster or looking just completely homeless. Sure. I mean, you just you just have great roots in your facial hair because I was worried, you know, you'd be clean shaven. I'd be like, all right, well, I guess I'll think a bit an intro on the spot. But, you know, enough about your facial hair. Austin Tyndall, like I said, legendary voice actor and performer. What I want to know, though, while we begin, how did we get here? Was this kind of always the dream, or did something happen late in your life that led you down this path? Um, I never thought I was going to be a voice actor, specifically. Uh, I did do a lot of theater in high school. Um, and then when I went to college, I was studying to be an electrical engineer, and I got through about three years before I switched majors at the last moment. Um, to do uh, a degree called arts and performance. Uh, so I spent a lot of time doing theater and then I, I knew I wanted to do something in that area. I think I really wanted to do more film when I was, when I was younger. I wanted to, wanted to be in the movies. Um, and I just, I really did just happen to fall into getting to work with Funimation just because I knew so many people in the community. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. Uh, but now I, I would, I mean, I, I, love, I love voice acting and it's just like any other acting, except, you know, you don't have to worry about like, looking is good, which is nice. Of course, but I mean, acting is in the name. I mean, you guys do just as many act, acting, you know, skills, jobs, and you know, all the facets of acting as, you know, actors, like, you know, Tom Hanks or insert other actor or actress here. So do, do you find it hard in a way? And uh, let me elaborate um, in the fact that sometimes you guys record just by yourselves in the booth and, you know, the sound engineer, but, you know, with other actors, you know, that act, you know, like on stage or whatever, you know, they can usually play off one another. You mm -hmm. though, you definitely have to use more of your imagination in that. So does that present unique challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is, it's a weird thing. Uh, it's completely different than being on stage. Um, one of the greatest things about getting to 
to to do theater specifically is is an uninterrupted scene that you get to have with a scene partner where the the two of you can really have a a chance to create something organic by uh just letting go and responding to each other um which is what we do as children when we're all playing in the playground and essentially that's i think at the heart of what entertainment is it's uh like humans acting out and telling stories and playing so that we can learn more about ourselves as a species um uh but when you're alone in the booth it's um at least for me i know that having done a lot of theater i was able to understand what my internal mechanisms were like so i have an idea of what it i sound like uh when i'm truly sad and i know where that lives in my body so getting back to that place um ends up being like a it ends up being like a a, a muscle thing it's it's like doing yoga so it's a lot of like trying to be present sensitive aware and then allowing your body to naturally float into the place that it's supposed to be but it is it is all based on your imagination for the most part and i would say the the director's intent because at the end of the day you are just like a uh your your data entry your studio musician you're there to help someone else with their interpretation of how this thing is supposed to be told mm-hmm. um it's not like it's not like in a play or in a movie where you're creating a new character and you might have more influence on how that character naturally responds to something for the most part we're trying to recreate um the 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 intent of the japanese creators to the best of our ability uh and my job specifically is to just do what i'm told in terms of the director's vision of how things are going to happen so very often you'll end up in a conversation with someone where they haven't recorded yet so the director is there kind of deciding how hot each response is going to be you know my answer to your question is going to change depending on how you say the question so it's a um it's it, it can sometimes be a less organic process but um uh you know it is it, it is all still just um imagination and what you lack in a scene partner uh you get back sometimes in the fact that these things are usually already animated and they already have other actors voicing them so those are those are things that you can get a lot of influence from in terms of how you might respond okay that's an interesting way to look at it well you know you've done this job for you know years so what do you think was your first big break the one that you consider at least the first one that kind of puts you on the map um it's hard to say but i mean uh I got a chance to play Alzac Connell in Fairy Tale, which is a really small part, but doing that um, allowed me to work enough with Tyler Walker that he felt safe enough to cast me in Is This a Zombie, which was my first leading role. Um, and then uh, that kind of opened me up to new directors and um and eventually led to Tokyo Ghoul which was the biggest show i think i've probably done um in terms of shows that i've 
had a large role in. Uh, and for the most part now, for the past like five years, I spend the majority of time talking about that or Attack on Titan or Assassination Classroom. So I guess more than anything, those probably are the three that have shaped my life and we'll so far. definitely get to those in a minute guys and ladies and gentlemen before we continue i just want to say if you guys are watching this live here on facebook go ahead and put your comments and questions either in the live chat or message VisionCon directly because at the end of this i'll open it up to viewers comments and questions but with that said we'll go ahead and continue because i said that we'll touch on those big ones and we will don't get me wrong but i did want to draw light and attention to one role that you played rather recently within the last few years that I actually started getting into as early as last night. And it was interesting because I didn't realize you actually played this character until I heard your voice. But uh, my girlfriend and I were watching the show and I was loving it. But then this main character starts talking and I'm thinking, wow, this character sounds really familiar. And then sure enough, at the end credits, it's you and that character is one Setagawa from, and I wrote this down, ladies and gentlemen, I love the show so far, but one of the words in it, I can hardly pronounce, so I'm a, bear with me. We got, he to re g May oh, yeah. Did I get it? Yeah, he to re Nailed, Nailed it. So, kind of, how was it playing that role? I mean, it's a great kind of, you know, romantic comedy with some other serious elements in it as well. And I guess I highly recommend you guys checking it out. But, you know, kind of how was it playing the lead in that? Um, uh, that was awesome. Uh, that was done at Sentai, which was in Houston, uh, which is always crazy because that is, usually means that I drive down there and we recorded the entire season in two days, maybe three days. Wow. Um, so it's like eight-hour days of nonstop and and uh, they use the they use the chase method over there. So instead of like going queue to queue, we just start playing the episode, and then I'm a few, I'm like a second behind the entire time, just kind of throwing out everything. So a lot of the stuff ends up being your first or only take. Um, but what was really interesting about recording that is, first of all, David Wald is the director who uh, is an amazing director, and he's he comes from a background that is similar to mine in terms of theater and um, and process. So he really understands me as an actor, um, which is awesome. And he decided that uh, there's some of the more intimate scenes between the, the two separate main uh, love connections, okay. yes. relationships, um, there's, there's a few intimate scenes that they that they all have that that doesn't involve a lot of dialogue overlap or anything. Mm -hmm. So we actually set about to attempt to record them together. So David Wald and I recorded our parts in the room together, like all the really intimate moments that we have. Um, and nobody ever does that in anime. It's very rare. Uh, but it was it was a joy to be able to like play with another actor uh, inside a space like that. Um, and we were like, we weren't, we weren't like <laughs> looking at each other or anything because <laughs> they still had to block off the, um, the sound because they need two separate 
um, isolated, you know, recordings uh, that they can mess with. And we're still matching flaps as we're doing this. So it's pretty, it was a pretty insane endeavor. Uh, and it's something that's probably too complicated for people to attempt to do on a regular basis, but it was really effective for those scenes. Um, we were basically on either side of a giant thick curtain, uh, but we could hear each other and we could play off each other. Um, it was cool, man. I mean, I mean, I and that show is so emotional too. That's it's um, it's so fun playing with all that repressed, you know, anxious puppy love, yeah, anxious feelings, puppy love. But like, yeah, and it's it's a very endearing and very like deep story, while also you know remaining light and having those levity moments, but I was very impressed by the show because I immediately kind of, I went into it because, you know, my girlfriend wanted to watch it and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, why, why not? And I loved it. You know, we're going to finish it uh, probably later this week, but we got it in about half into it. But then I noticed why that character's voice sounded so familiar is because you voiced him. But, you know, That's I awesome. definitely can see why, how you do that, you know, kind of doing it in pairs for those scenes are as effective because I made a mental note about that. I was like, you know, they really do go the extra mile, it sounds like, with those scenes. So I was very impressed. And I do recommend all of you guys checking out the show. I will put it in the description below because I'm sure I, you know, brutalized and mutilated the actual pronunciation of the name. But, you know, the next one I want to talk about, we'd be remiss if we didn't. Let's talk about Tokyo Ghoul. A mm -hmm. little backstory. When I first heard that the show came out, completely and utterly wrote it off. I kind of thought it was just kind of edgy, clickbaity, you know, thing that the kind of the teens are into, but ladies and gentlemen, Austin Tyndall, there was a girl. It was her favorite show at the time. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll watch it. It looks great. So uh, it didn't really work out with me and this girl, but I binged the entire series. It was so good. Had so much more depth than I ever thought possible for a show with a, you know, an interesting premise. So kind of what was your kind of experience with the show? Kind of was there any interesting tidbits as to how you got the role and just, you know, all of the above? Um, uh, I, I auditioned for the role, uh, which doesn't always happen, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was a few lines and then like the last, they always have you record like five or six cues as the character when they're having you audition. Um, and I think the last cue that they had us audition for, it just, it just told you to scream. Um, <clears throat> uh, and and that's and that's basically what the show was about. I think, <laughs> I think uh, I had just finished doing um, a certain magical index, um, so I. It, it, like I think I had shown that I was capable of not burning out too quickly because uh, when because that's screaming that often um, is an athletic endeavor <clears throat> and uh, my voice is like permanently <laughs> scarred deeper after having done those two shows uh, <laughs> I burnt through that really quickly that's why I'm not the best person to ask for advice in terms of like vocal warm-ups or sustaining without hurting yourself. Like people are like, how do you make those sounds without without hurting yourself? I I don't. I just I just actually hurt myself. Sure. Uh but um 
uh, uh, when I got the part, I was like, I had, I had just quit my job and moved into my girlfriend's van. Um, so like I was in a very chaotic environment when I started recording it and over the course of finishing it, cause it took us like over four years before we recorded all the way through Tokyo Gori. Uh, my life had changed so dramatically, you know, and that's right when I started getting invited to cons, uh, which was a new thing for me. Um, so it's pretty crazy to see just the, there, there may be some parallel to the character arc um, that Carnegie went through and then just my own <coughs> personal chaos as a human being. Uh, and it is kind of a mind fuck to, oh, excuse me. <laughs> it's a pretty lax show. Um, uh, to to be regularly kind of expressing and performing that attitude um, and that the because it is a it's a fairly melodramatic show, sure. uh, but I do think it has a it, it speaks a lot about uh, trauma on a metaphorical level, and I think that's why a lot of people respond to it. Um, so there was a lot of me, like even working out my own shit as I was recording a lot of that show. Um, and it went on for so long that it it's definitely the longest project I've ever worked on. Um, it's rare, especially with anime, that you get to, you know, work with a character for that long. Um, I mean, there are these shows, there are these like Dragon Ball, oh, sure. One Piece shows where you get cast as somebody and then you're going to be doing that at least once a year forever. Um, but most of the stuff that I've been in is like two seasons max. And even this was only technically three seasons, I guess. Um, maybe four. But, uh, but it was a long time to spend working on something. And, and you bring up the fact that, you know, the show is, you know, it definitely does have kind of melodramatic moments and such. But I will say, if there was ever a show where the, the protagonist just needs to be cut a break. It would definitely <laughs> be Kaneki in Tokyo Ghoul. Because, I mean, come on. Just like every, every couple episodes, just something like horrific happens to the boy and he just kind of has to power through it. And, you know, you know it, it, it all kind of, I hesitate to say, works out in the end. <coughs> it has a, a, a happy-ish ending to it, which I appreciated. But you said it yourself. You were in a very precarious situation, you know, when it first started, you know, when you got the role. And so the fact that, you know, you're doing, you know, far better now, do you tie a lot of that to Tokyo Ghoul? And is that why Kaneki and just kind of the whole story itself will always kind of resonate with you? Um, I mean, the, the, in terms of its performance, what resonated the most was uh, his, his internal uh, growth emotionally uh, and there's so many moments where you know the specific context of what's happening is him like you know needing to eat humans or transferring into something or almost dying or almost killing someone but the the specific dialogue that's being spoken is often uh, easy I think to to relate to you know and there's like like there's moments towards the end of season one where he's um uh you know when Rize's like giving him crap about his mom 
uh, and there's all these things that he's saying to his mom, uh, like all of that, uh, just the dialogue alone. And you're, once you're, when you're doing, when you're recording it, you're going cue by cue. So there's just these little moments that you spend, you know, that you make a universe out of, uh, with each passing line. So like stuff like that was, was, uh, like cathartic to, uh, to express and to, you know, the journey, the story, like most, uh, like most shows and most stories of self-actualization is, is him, you know, uh, coming over the trauma of past experience and learning how to, uh, uh, internalize that and, and, um, use it, uh, for good. Um, and so that, that progression, I think it's, it's, uh, easy to, um, relate to and, uh, there it may, and there is, I guess there is some, there is some parallel in that I did like end up with my own apartment somewhere in the middle of season two. And so I was like climbing the hierarchy of needs and able to actually care about other people and not just myself. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's definitely some parallel there in terms of, uh, uh, my personal growth. And I, I will, I will say, I personally have experienced people that, you know, Kaneki as a character and just, you know, the entire show, don't get me wrong, but specifically Kaneki and your performance with them has just completely resonated with them. I have a friend named Amanda and she had, when I found out, you know, that you were interested in being on the show, I told her cause I saw her socks that had Kaneki on them. I was like, Hey, I'm interviewing uh, his voice actor. And she, lost it she was so excited and you know plenty of other friends that i've had who just loves the show you know for its other assets and like you know factors don't get me wrong but you know kaneki or really your performance with kaneki is just it feels so real it feels so you know genuine and just, it's very easy to connect to you like you said which um kind of segments my way to uh my next question i kind of want to talk about a show that it has darker elements to it but not necessarily um eating people to stay alive level. Uh, let's talk about Assassination Classroom. Now you voice the resident bad boy turned lovable, whatever, anti-hero, I'd say, Karma. Kinda, how fun was it? Was it as fun of a role as it kind of sounded like you were having with it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, he doesn't, the only thing that was annoying is he doesn't show up enough most episodes he would like be there at the beginning and then he'd pop in at the end to say something snarky. Uh, but it's always, it's always fun to be the, you know, the wry sarcastic one. Um, I remember luckily enough when we recorded that it was before we were doing broadcast dubs because the first episode that I recorded, I had a whole different voice that I was doing, which was, nasally and obnoxious and kind of like bratty um and it wasn't until uh like the third episode um that i kind of like figured something else out and um Afia Yu was directing at the time and uh she and i went back and just re-recorded all the other old episodes oh wow um 
Yeah, but it could have sounded completely different and it would have been much more obnoxious, I think. Um, but yeah, what an odd character. Uh, they don't they don't explain enough of what's going on with him, in my opinion. You know, early on, we see him fling himself off a cliff at one point. He's got this like suicidal ecstasy. Uh, and then the next thing you know, the show's over and he's planning to become a politician. So I guess it makes sense. It, it did definitely, it left more to be desired as far as uh, Karma's story and kind of character arc was concerned. I mean, I like how it wrapped <coughs> but you know, I do agree. I definitely would have asked for more Karma than, you know, you know, maybe some other of the characters. But uh, you know, you had to tailor his voice to kind of work better with the character, and then obviously, you know, you re-recorded those scenes. Do you find yourself doing that a lot? Is that kind of a, a something that commonly happens, or is it just kind of a case? But, uh, like, are you saying, like, crazy characters? Do I find myself doing that a lot? No, 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 no. What I mean is, so you do a character in a certain voice, but then later down the line, you evolve oh, that um, voice. Is that something that kind of happens commonly, or was that just kind of a case-by-case -case thing? I think there's I think there's some degree of settling in but definitely not to the degree that we were able to recreate that voice I don't think that happens very often especially with uh anime because most stuff these days is being simuldubbed so you know if you figure out a better voice by episode three like it's too late we've already got the first episode on the internet um but there's always some shift that happens I think of course I don't end up like playing a wide variety of character voices i mean you know like essentially karma and kaneki are not very different in their pitch or their tone uh or their or, or you know like the it's still my basic mannerism of dialogue uh it's just maybe i'll like i'll put it slightly differently uh in the mouth and um you know a lot of it's just like emotional intent uh, you know, uh, Kaneki's always very sincere and Karma isn't. <laughs> sure. Um, but, but essentially they're not, I'm not Tax Avery over here. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I, another character I wanted to discuss, and kind of, he definitely, I would say, differs from Kaneki and uh, Karma, at least to a degree. And it's also an anime that I would say, in, in the sense of tone, it would definitely be somewhere between um, Tokyo Ghoul and Assassination Classroom. And that, of course, is Darling and the Franks. I want to talk a little bit about Goro. So, you know, Goro, you know, he kind of at first comes across as someone who's got to, you know, stick up their butt and kind of, you know, kind of the, the big brother of the group. And then, you know, as all the characters in that story, you know, they undergo a big character arc. And so kind of, was there any memorable moments, you know, voicing Goro, which is kind of the whole Darling in the Franks process? Um, I don't know. I mean, it was really fun working with Cliff, the director. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it was, in general, it was nice to have a show that felt more grounded in um, uh, like human conflict. Um, which I wasn't expecting at first from a, like a mech show, which I generally am not super 
motivated by large robot shows. Um, but there was something beautiful and kind of Lord of the Flies about all of these characters. Uh, I just, gosh, I just remember working with Cliff, but um, he was very uh, specific and he really wanted to get something that was as grounded in reality as possible. Um, and we spent a lot of time working on that. <laughs> well, you know, you've voiced so many characters throughout the years. Like I always say, with most of the guests that we have on the show, if I went to your IMDb page and talked about every single character, we'd be here all day, possibly two days. But throughout the years, were there any characters that really, aside from Kaneki, because we already kind of touched on that one, were there any other characters throughout the years that really have kind of resonated with you? And like at the end of the day, you know, you'd hang your hat on and just kind of has stuck with you through the years. Um, well, I, you know, I try to relate to all the characters that I've played, but it's, it's with a lot of, with a lot of the stuff, it's hard to really get a feel for that character because you uh, don't spend that much time um, with it. You know, there's a ton of shows that I've done where I said those words maybe three or four times uh, and then, you know, didn't think about it or see it for years. Um, so it's hard to hold on to some of those memories. Um, and it's hard to have a, a, like, a connection to something that you didn't get to spend a lot of time on. Uh, I would definitely forgot for a little bit that I was in Sarah for the end. I was completely convinced that I wasn't in that show. Wow. Um, I, and I just, you know, I just didn't actually show up that often in the show. Um, uh, so it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to answer. Uh, I do enjoy the rare instances where I get to play something that is far away from my natural speaking voice. So in Michiko and Hachin, I have this little tiny character that I play called Masao. Um, <clears throat> or in Eld Live, I play this big purple mustachioed alien named uh, Isaac. And um, those are fun to do. Uh, uh, and I'm always grateful that I get a chance to do something ridiculous or not so i'm always i'm always like worried about the fact that i very often don't do anything to modify my voice for a character but how many different voices can you have for you know a 17 year old who suddenly gets superpowers <laughs> um without it being disingenuous uh and why but, uh Gosh, who else? I'm trying to, I'm trying to think if there's. Um, there's so many. So. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's, and you know, they're all, they're all my children, and I love them all. <laughs> uh, I, but you know, I love doing the harem comedies. Um, and a lot of that work has been fun, and it's a very comfortable place for me to play in. But uh, I also. Uh, we'll always really enjoy having done uh, Snow White with the red hair. 
Um, and Obi is the character I played in that show. And uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. And that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of show that uh, it's, you can show more people to. You can show, you know, family members. Or, or um, another one would be uh, uh, My Roommate is a Cat. Uh, I really love that show. That one really speaks to me. Um, and I, I recorded that right after Tokyo Ghoul was officially, officially wrapped up. Um, and I even got a cat after I started doing the show. Aw, that's so cute. Yeah. Oh, she might be, she's outside right now, I think. Ah, fair enough. But, you know, do you find that, you know, with each show that you do, you may... You know, while the character kind of grows as a character, you kind of yourself kind of undergo a little bit of the character growth, or uh, is it easy to kind of separate yourself from those characters? Because you spend a decent amount of time with these characters, you know, formulating voices, you know, kind of making sure each should sound right. You know, is, is it possible that, you know, with each character you voice, you maybe kind of take after them in a way? Um... I'd like to think that, that I've learned personal growth lessons from every hour that I spend in the booth. I don't know how uh, effective that really is. Um, uh, but it definitely can affect like the emotional lands landscape of that day for me. Um, and nowadays, well, nowadays I, I record like an hour a week in a closet. Um, but even up before the pandemic, it was, you know, you, if, if I'm lucky, I'll get maybe two or three hours booked with Funimation per week. Um, so it doesn't take up that much of my actual life. But, um, you know, any uh, I think any actor working on, Attack on Titan can tell you that like doing a show like that on a regular basis can can make your day uh, depressing but certainly certainly not as all encompassing as it is to like like I played Claudio in Measure for Measure on stage one time and that like that dude, he's, you know, he's about to get murdered because uh, he had sex with his girlfriend and the bishop that runs the town basically sentences him to death. And he's got this horrible monologue that he has to go through. And I used to just abuse myself um, during the rehearsal process and the run through that show. So stuff like that can weigh more heavily than um, then something where you can like, you only have to do it a couple times and you can move on. It's not like reliving that traumatic event over and over again. Uh, Luckily. It must be rough though, which but, unfortunately, and somehow kind of segues my way to my next question. Um, well, we've noticed a lot of people who watch the show. Yes, of course, they're here for, you know, the amazing guests that we have, but a lot of them are also interested in either getting into voice acting or have already taken some steps to get there, but kind of are just looking for the next few tips on becoming, you know, one day might become the next Austin Tyndall. So I did want to ask you uh, two questions that I always try to ask, um, you know, towards, you know, the middle of each video. 
rejection. It's found everywhere in life, you know, but I will say, compared to most industries, I would say the entertainment industry, it is found a lot more than compared to other industries. So I wanted to ask you, who is a very successful and very well-known performer, how do you kind of deal with rejection? Does it get any easier or are there any tips that you could give the folks watching at home? It never gets easier. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, it, 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 it's easier to not, to get to a place to not take it personally because the worst thing you can do to yourself is what I did, which was spend my entire twenties, like completely worried about what I was supposed to look like because I thought that my success was limited because I didn't fit into a certain mold. Um, and in reality, like that attitude is the thing that's slowing you down and stopping you from figuring out where you're useful. Um, because <clears throat> there's, you know, there's all shapes and sizes and ranges of things that are needed for storytelling. Um, so you don't have to look or sound like a, someone else. If anything else, they need, you know, your unique, natural, unedited voice or face, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, it gets easier over time when you start to learn that it's, it's just, uh, uh, it's just the nature of, a, of a buyer's market. I mean, um, you did and it's random. It's also very random in a lot of ways. A lot of things are very random. Um, in terms of like getting a good role, like there's a ton of care. Like I just auditioned for a character that I really, really want to get. And I probably won't. Um, I did that this morning. Uh, and it's going to suck when I don't get it, if I don't get it. Uh, but also, uh, not getting a role is not as bad as getting the role and then doing and not being right for it and having everyone resent you for screwing up their favorite character. Well, I mean, that's a good way to look at it. And everybody watching at home right now, fingers, keep your fingers crossed that Austin Tindall gets that unnamed role from the unnamed project. But there was something that you said that I'm curious if we could explore a little more, if that's okay with you. And that is, I mean, you had that, you know, destructive kind of, you know, limiting mindset for, you know, for a while that kind of, you know, stopped you from, you know, maybe climbing the ladder of success as quickly. Like, kind of what was the kicking point? How did you get out of that mindset? And for anybody watching at home, do you have any tips as to how to, you know, just get out of that limiting mindset? Um, I had a lot of, uh, mo most of the effective training that I have received was actually um, uh, with a program called Shakespeare and Company in Lenox, Massachusetts. And they, uh, the, it was a month long intensive that I took um, where we would spend like eight hours a day every day just working on the craft. And the first like four hours of the day was all about you know, um, kind of uh, 
getting in your skin, you know, becoming fully aware of yourself uh, and living in your body. Um, uh, And there's a lot of techniques that I learned there that, uh, that became very effective for me. And most of them you can read about in a, there's a book called, uh, uh, what's it called? It's called uh, Freeing the Natural Voice or Unleashing the Natural Voice by Kristen Linklater. Um, But there's a bunch of techniques in there about mindfulness, about making yourself um, present and sensitive and aware. Um, And there's like, in there is the heart of all the difficult stuff you need um, to be successful as an actor in terms of, you know, uh, accomplishing the task you've been hired to do, like getting hired to do the task. There's no, there's no easy way to make that happen because there's plenty of times when you might be right for the role, but there are other people that are right for the role and there's so many, so many factors involved in you getting hired for something that's going to be fulfilling. Um, did I, what, what was your question again? Did I answer that? Uh, the question was, and I think you effectively uh, answered it, but um, you know, how did you get out of that kind of limiting mindset? And Oh yeah. Well, uh, I mean, you don't really, uh, you come back to it on a regular basis, but um, uh, the the practice of like just becoming aware of your breath and your posture. So when I'm in moments of extreme anxiety, especially like in the job arena, like if I'm like in a cattle call for a commercial that I really want to get and I'm feeling nervous, I will try to focus my energy on um, something productive. So I'll try to like this frontal lobe that's constantly criticizing every aspect of you, like try to, uh, try to train it to serve you. So in moments like that, I try to focus on things that I can control. Like, uh, like, like my, my stance, if I'm standing in the room, I'll check to see if the three points of my feet are touching the ground evenly. I'll try to make tripods with my feet you know, with the two balls and the heel is three points, six total points that I'll try to stack under me. And then I'll make sure that my knees and my hips and my shoulders are all stacked and aligned. And then uh, I will try to relax my body so that I can stand like that while using as least amount of energy as possible. And then I'll start to focus on my breath and I'll try to get into a zone where I can sense my breath without controlling it which is like technically not possible but it's kind of a it's it's like a zen technique that could be considered at the heart of all acting because that moment of breath is thought and inspiration and action and um and that's uh uh, that's what we're that's what we're doing as actors um without controlling it and finding each inhale and exhale as an act of releasing tension as opposed to a decision that's being made. I'm not sitting here thinking I need to breathe in for 10 seconds and then I need to breathe out. I'm giving in to the desire to inhale 
until my an overwhelming desire of exhale uh, takes over and I give into that. So that like I'm sitting there in the space um, uh, actively focusing on relaxing myself and giving myself tasks uh, that um, also distract me from judging myself. Um, and hopefully if this is an audition space that you're in, you've done your homework and so you don't need to be sitting here worried about what lines you're going to say or what your motivation is or what the context is of what you're doing. Um, so it's like, do your homework, you know, study, get rest, have a nice breakfast, show up and try to chill out. But like that's that. just me. There's, there's a, all roads lead to Mecca. There's a bunch of different ways to help people tell a story as an actor. Uh, but uh, but uh, anyway, so the the judgment and the the fear um, those things always come back, and when they do, I try to focus on uh, actions that will serve me. So you can better combat. I love that. But uh, with that, guys, if you guys have not already, if you're watching this live here on Facebook, if you haven't already, go ahead and write your comments or questions either in the live chat or message VisionCon directly, because this is your last chance. Because ladies and gentlemen, we're in the plug zone. Austin Tyndall, now is your time to promote, plug, advertise, whatever verb you want to use, anything you want, links, websites, services, whatever you want, the floor is yours, sir. Um, my cat has an Instagram page where she writes haikus. And uh, I'd love everyone to follow it. It's called Haikus by Haru. I forgot to tell you this one ahead of no time. Words. Haikus by Haru. H-A-I-K-U-S-B-Y-H-A-R-U. Check it out. She's a budding artist. Um, uh, or you can find me on Austin Tyndall. At Austin Tyndall anywhere. Or on Instagram, if you go to at not Austin Tyndall, that's where I'll be posting convention appearances and things like um, interviews and stuff like that. And guys, if you're watching this on Facebook, all of those links are going to be in the chat minus the uh, haikus with Haru. But if you're watching this later on YouTube, that'll be on the description down below. And you, you also have Cameo, correct? Oh yeah, I have Cameo. So if you want a video, come find me. Uh, I guess it's just uh, Austin Tyndall. Cameo slash Austin Tyndall, I don't know. It's a, on a, there's a link to it in the bio in my Instagram. Yeah, and if you don't already follow him, it's also gonna be in the live chat on Facebook or down below on YouTube. And with that guys, we're out of the plug zone. And we're going back to you, uh, viewers, comments and questions. So I'm gonna bounce it out like I always do, 50-50 from the messenger and 50-50 from the live chat. So give me just one sec to pull that up, guys. All right, so first up, we've got Amanda, who wrote in and asked, what is it like voicing such an emotional and traumatic character like Kaneki? He has so much depth. What was going through your head? I feel like that would be interesting, being alone when voice acting. So we kind of we kind of touched on that a little bit earlier, but maybe more of an in depth about Kaneki as a character. Kind of how was your kind of headspace when voicing Kaneki? Um, 
I mean, I'm, I, I guess I've been lucky in that I've uh, gotten a chance to play a lot of tortured characters. So I'm familiar with the landscape of uh, personal torment. Um, so it gets down to mostly technique. Like when you're in the booth, um, there's, there's some, you know, there's some amount of sense memory drawing from like my own personal trauma. And there's some amount of, of, um, organic, uh, material that can be brought to the table. Um, but, uh, for the most part, it ends up being, um, technique and it ends up being a muscle that like gets flexed more easily the older I get. I remember when I was younger, when I was in like high school, I was constantly trying to uh, force myself to be able to cry on cue. Like that was like a really big deal for me. I thought it meant that I was a good actor. Um, so I spent a lot of time kind of just in, not only in that headspace, but also uh, physically um, the, the things that you can trigger around your face in your throat that adjust the way that you say things. Um, it ends up, it ends up being kind of second nature. Um, uh, but there's, there's also something I, I just really naturally relish about, uh, some of those moments, those, um, cause there's something therapeutic about dipping into that reserve and, pouring some of it out. So I would say there, there is maybe perhaps some like resolve and catharsis that I had experienced from going through those and getting out on the other side. And now that I finished those things, I, I do feel <laughs> less of a desire to go back and um, relive them. I don't think I'd want to have to re-record all of those intensely uh, emotional moments. Um, but there's something about Kaneki that's just so human uh, in in his fear of himself and his isolation. Uh, so I guess that's at the heart of what maybe resonated with me and what made it an accomplishable task. I don't know if that helped answer the question. <laughs> oh, no, I think you did great. I mean, he's a very interesting character. I mean, you know, that goes without saying. But he's also one that's very easy to root for, especially when he's faced mm -hmm. with such adversity, you know, seemingly every day. But uh, Alan wrote in and wanted to know, have you always been a fan of anime, or did that come after you started voicing characters in anime? I was probably a bigger fan of anime before I started voicing characters, honestly. Like, I watch less anime now than I used to. Um, and it's it's kind of harder to keep up with things these days. Uh, but when I was growing up, you know, I would stay up till, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning and watch, uh, like, Dragon Ball Z every night. Um, I was a big fan of Fully Cooly when I was a kid. I was really in love with that show. Uh, and, you know... Uh, I watched all the Miyazaki films and Ninja Scroll and Vampire Hunter D when I was young. And, you know, my dad and I would go to Blockbuster and he would, he would, he would rent some of the real, back in the day, you could get some VHS of some gory, like barely subtitled, just nasty tentacly stuff out there. 
that you could like find at random blockbusters. And um, I spent a lot of my childhood watching stuff like that. And it's funny too, because I don't, I never, it never occurred to me that I could be doing what I'm doing today when I was like watching that. I would watch Dragon Ball Z in English, but I never, now I know all those fucking people and that's super weird. I never once would have thought that, uh, that, that it just didn't occur to me that was an option. You know, I got really into theater in high school. And at that point, anime was more in the background. Um, and then I kind of heard about Funimation when I moved to Dallas. But, uh, but yeah, these days, man, I'm, I, don't, I don't watch very much. And I definitely don't watch my own stuff. You know, I'll study, a, I'll study a show enough to, like, get an idea of what's going on. But after that, I'll exercise willful ignorance and kind of not tell myself what's happening sure interesting well jared williams wrote in one and wanted to tell you karma was one of his favorite characters that you brought to life there was so much we didn't get to see of the character if you could have written an episode about him and his story what would you have liked to add and explore uh if I got an extra character or an extra episode with the character, I'd, I don't know. I guess I'd want to see some flashback to what was happening with him right before he shows up. You know, uh, maybe, maybe there's some earlier rival that uh, isn't shown in the TV show that we get to see him going against. I'd like to see him do something nastier than just put wasabi up someone's nose I'm, we want to i want to know if he really has murdered someone before i want to see his first kill that that would be a great one and i was surprised that we never really explored that one too much but uh I mean, but that was an excellent question here um we'll say oh michelle horner clay coming in clutch she puts um haru's instagram on the uh in the live chat thank you michelle nice. you're, you're amazing uh, okay, Marissa McGuire wrote in and wanted and said, I'm new to watching anime, just started seriously getting into it this year during quarantine. One of the first ones she watched was My Roommate is a Cat, and I just fell in love with it because it's so mundanely heartwarming. I can relate to uh, Subaru so much dealing with depression, social anxiety, and being a shut-in. A few years ago, I got a cat, and that was really helped me in dealing with that. I just really connected with Subaru, and that anime is so special to me. Thank you so much, dude. Oh, that's nice to hear. That show means a lot to me, too, um, for the exact same reasons. There's like a whole episode where he's just trying to get up the gumption to go to the grocery store. Uh, and I get that. I mean, I mean, like, this is what I'm saying, though. I mean, you have voiced, I mean, all these characters, you know, at least one person has been resonated by each of these characters. I mean, obviously you are Austin Tyndall. So uh, one person, it's more like hundreds or thousands, but you know, it, it's very heartwarming to hear. I'm sure. Do you ever kind of like, is that ever something that ever gets old or do you just love always hearing those stories? No, no, it's always nice to be appreciated. Um, absolutely. Uh, it's wonderful to, to hear that, those performances have had an impact on other people. But uh, I also, I try not to let it get to my head because, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a lot of responsibility in the success of this thing that means so much to other people. You know I mean? It was, 
written by someone and animated by some by many people um, and uh, performed by someone else before me. And all of those factors came in before I showed up as like, you know, uh, glorified subtitles. Um, so a lot of my career these days has been me accepting the gratitude and being kind of the mascot or face um, or, or point of contact for people who really appreciate these things that uh, resonated in their lives that they get to own and rewatch and re-listen to on a regular basis. And I'm very grateful that I got to be a part of it. Uh, uh, and it's, it is humbling to regularly get to accept the gratitude when, uh, you know, I just showed up at the end the credit <laughs> for it. Sure. Well, that's a good way to look at it. All right, guys, we have time for two more questions. So Aaron wrote in and said, speaking of Snow White, how do you think Obi would get Alon to Regina the Evil Queen and Snow White and Prince Charming's daughter, Emma Swan? And then he said, I met Lana Parilla. Forgive me if I mispronounced that. And Jennifer Morrison from Once Upon a Time. So I believe his question is, so how would Obi get along with Regina the Evil Queen and Snow White and Prince Charming? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think Obi would uh, be polite and evasive. Um, and uh, I think he has a lot of respect for royalty um, out of an obligation and a code of honor, even though he may not have personal affection towards these people. <laughs> That's fair. Well, uh, Annie McLaughlin actually came in and she said, uh, I'm gonna watch this cat show now. And she added it to her queue apparently. Oh, you gotta watch the show. It's very, uh, cute and it was very it was a great show to get to work on after finishing Tokyo Ghoul because it is it is so different but it still deals with loss and personal growth on a deep level that um, I remember there's so many parts of that show uh, my roommate is a cat where during the recording I would like find myself choking up and I would have to like redo a take because like the actual character's not that emotional, and especially not that outwardly emotional. Um, but it's a great show. Everyone should check it out. Oh, that's incredibly sweet, too. All right, we got last question. This is from Tabitha. And before I read it, I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen watching this, this interview would not be possible if it had not been for Tabitha Whitelaw. She reached out to you, you know, you agreed to be on the show. So we're very thankful for you for joining us. But also thank you so much, Tabitha, for making this possible. We love you dearly. And with that said, Tabitha wrote in and asked, uh, I said, oh, oh, wait, hold on, I lost it. Uh, oh, there it is, okay. So it is no surprise, why isn't it not? Sorry guys, a little technical difficulties, where did it go? There it is, okay. It's no secret that a lot of the Tokyo Ghoul fans that read the manga were upset by the anime, kind of strained away from the manga. Did you read the manga and what were your thoughts on that? Tokyo Ghoul is one of my favorite animes, hands down. Okay, so I've read some of the manga, mm -hmm. um, especially right before we started recording Tokyo Ghoul Re. Uh, I read through a bit of it um, and I was very confused and lost. Uh, and then I didn't 
I didn't finish it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was perhaps like too overwhelmed by everything to sit down and actually uh, read through all of it. Um, and uh, the last recording the last season Tokyo Glory was a very frustrating experience. Um, they they accelerated the storytelling so quickly that we often had difficulty completely immediately understanding what was going on, um, which is which is often the case when you're a, a dub actor because knowing the full context of the story is not really as helpful as just knowing the intent of the line that you're about to speak. Um, and in fact, in some ways, not knowing what's going on kind of makes it easier to give a pure line reading that's going to be closer to what the director is looking for based on the limited information they give you. Um, what I forget what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> so did you read the, the manga, which you uh, did? I read a little bit, yeah. but then, I didn't finish it. <laughs> and Oh, oh, are we are we having a, a cameo appearance? Oh my god! Is that is is that Haru himself? Yeah, here's Haru. Oh, look, look, that's you. <laughs> well, I can't think of a better way to end off on this. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time we have. So, this has been episode 19 of VisionCon Live. Now, before we wrap things up, Austin Tyndall, any final thoughts or anything you want to leave us out on? Um, stay safe out there wash your hands uh and uh yeah follow me on all the social media because then i i feel loved more <laughs> and it's important for internet points there you go links in live chat or if you watch this later on youtube down below but until next time ladies and gentlemen this has been episode 19 of vision con live make sure to come with us and tune in next week july 27th which is a monday at 7 p.m central standard time for my interview with Bryson Bogus, voice actor behind the roles of Mitsuru from Darling in the Franks, Belle from Is It Ron to Try and Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon, Hinata from Haiku, and plenty more. But until next time, guys, I'm your host, Zach Wilson, but much more importantly, this has been my special guest, Austin Tyndall. You guys stay safe out there, and always remember, guys, that life's better when you have friends to share it with.